Hello there, this is uh, William Kennedy, Beginning Metal Detecting. I stay on the same topic of the pioneers and our forefathers and what they did to make life as good as possible. Um, this is going to be a long one. It's uh, probably going to be maybe 45 minutes, maybe, my, my podcast on this one. So, um, Okay, the one is... Um, what sheriffs and law enforcement used to do in frontier to- frontier towns and in their villages. Um, <clears> there <throat> was a quote uh, here: "If desired to avoid insult, we must be able to repel it. If we desire to secure peace, one of the most powerful instruments of raising prosperity, it must be known um, that we are all." We are at all times ready for war. That was George Washington that made that statement. <clears throat> okay, Westerners uh, gave us a, a vivid picture of law enforcement in the Old West. When a gang of outlaws started to terrorize a town, the frightened inhabitants begged their sheriff to do something. But usually either he's either corrupt or a coward or just not able to uphold the job. Everything seems lost until uh, enigmatic uh, strangers appear, confront troublemakers, and saves the day. It's a striking image, but it's, it's wrong in almost every detail. The people who settled the West were not um, shrinking violets. The fact that they were out there in the first place should tell us that these were people who left their homes and traveled sometimes from cities to the East Coast and often all the way from the Europe to make a new life for uncharted wilderness. They were pioneers, adventurers, bold, determined people. They may have lived in towns, but in most cases, they had built those towns themselves. Few Western settlements at the time had seen two generations raised there. Too, too many were only a few years old. Even recent arrivals had uh, struck out on, on a long, tough, and often dangerous journey to reach their new home, and not many of them were easily scared. Then there were the lawmen, movies and novels often mixed up the roles of marshal and sheriff but they were very different. The old uh, West mostly played out in the territories that haven't yet achieved statehood. Yeah, this this seems so so familiar from what's happening right now. It's like the past repeats itself. It just has to give us a, a state of circumstances or a political type of a situation where you know people just like lose it. And usually everybody takes sides, so. <clears throat> Never changes. Past always repeats itself. It seems like it's just another time, another place. People never change. Only faces change. But ways never change, usually, depending upon technology or whatever. Okay, that meant there was no state governments to take care of law enforcement. The federal government's response was to send U.S. Marshals into new territories. The United States Marshal Service is the country's oldest law enforcement agency and was set in up in 1789 as an enforcement arm of the federal courts. Marshals were ideal for the job because they had extensive powers and they could hire local deputies or recruit a posse. Virgil Earp was a U.S. Marshal, and he hired... Um, Wyatt um, uh, and Doc Holliday for assassins. Um, But while marshals had a lot of power, there were uh, many of them certainly uh, not enough to cover a huge growing expanse of West. As towns became established, they started to take on responsibility for their own law enforcement in the shape of local sheriffs. 
The office of the sheriff is, is an ancient one, dating back to the Saxton, England, but in the West it took on a distinctive form instead of an official appointed by the king. These new sheriffs were elected by the townspeople and given responsibility for law and order. Because they were elected, sheriffs tend to be trusted. There is no exceptions. However, elections could be rigged or enough voters could be bribed to elect an unpopular candidate. But in general, the job was given to someone that people thought could do it. The position came with a lot of power and even more responsibility. The sheriff could appoint deputies to help him with uh, duties, which were many sheriffs um, also often acted as tax collectors and resolved uh, disputes over grazing rights or access to water. They're most famous as lawmen through. In the early days before the Western Territories achieved statehood, sheriffs literally had the power of life and death. A sheriff could arrest wrongdoers, hold a trial, and carry out the sentence. Sometimes that meant um, locking up drunks up in the town's jail for a few days. Sometimes it meant uh, a hanging. Crime in the West. What kinds of crimes did those sheriffs have to deal with? Through another stereotype we get from the movies is that the Old West um, was lawless, violent places. The truth is, in general, it wasn't. In fact, a typical Western town in the 1860s had a lot less crime and disorder than it does today. That's what, um, That's mostly down to the people who live there and the lives they led. The new lands of West attracted a wide range of personalities, from visionaries to, to dreamed of buildings, a paradise to misfits on a run from the law to the families. But the untamed land was ruthless and judge. To survive more than a few weeks out there, never mind to successfully establish a farm or business, you had to learn to work together. Neighbors helped each other by trading supplies and lending muscle to a building project. Merchants gave credit on an honor system and those who abused that trust soon found themselves unwelcome in the town. After a civil war, the ranks of the pioneers swelled. The veterans who brought their own um, uh, I can't even pronounce that comrade uh, with them C-A-M-A-R-A-D-E-R-I-E I think that's what it is it's some word I've never seen it before unless it means something else um, all this meant a level of trust soon developed in a western town uh, people knew their um Neighbors, they worked beside them and socialized with them. They they knew that they could rely on each other for help in an atmosphere of pretty petty crime. I can't even talk. I need more coffee. Was uh, frowned on. The violence was surprisingly rare. When violence threatens or threatened, it usually came from the outside. There were gangs of outlaws that were often made up of men who failed to fit in with uh, uh, frontier society and banded together with others like them. A big rancher moved in and came into conflict with some farmers. They sometimes hired gangs and gunslingers to enforce their will. Later, the earlier railway barons would resort to some tactics when the federal government began its war against the Plains Indians, the, the previous good relations between settlers and tribes broke down and warriors began to attack farmers and even small towns. In fact, that the threats that face those old-time lawmen were a lot like the ones that you're likely to be dealing with in a um, HTF, HSH, TF. Oh, if you know what that is, that's kind of a. Uh, if you can pronounce the, the word, if you know it, a lot of people don't know it. It's called the shit hits the fan. Okay, that's um, 
kind of like preppers, they do that. And and this stuff can happen. I mean, like I said, the past always seems to repeat itself, no matter how how technological we are or whatever. Society breaks down. Something happens within political circles or whatever, and this is what happens, and it's just the people rebelling, so people are going to take sides. Scenarios, but they're probably going to fail, going to fall on a lot of lot quicker. I look at it this way. This, if this was to happen, either stay in my house or flee to the woods build something that I can live in because I'm not going towards trouble. I, I'll flee trouble. Unless it comes to me, then I'm going to have to do something about it. It's either it's either flight or, or fight. You have two choices. After all, in the West, society was still being being built home by home and farm by farm. The majority of people were part of the effort they were used to take care of, of uh, themselves, growing their own food, digging wells for water, and resolving uh, disputes like adults. Not like it is today, huh? Spoiled little young brats or something. I don't know. Glad I'm older now. Glad I don't have to deal with all that. I'll just stay in my house and mind my own business, I guess. <clears throat> Now imagine what it would be like if if a developing society like ours, full of people that think um, meat grows in shrink wraps, packages, collapses suddenly. All those people have to fend for themselves. And unlike old pioneers, they don't have any idea how to do it. It wouldn't be long before marauding gangs desperate for basic necessities like food, water, are trying to take them, take it from them. Anyone who looks like they're managing to cope with the situation, existing law enforcement probably wouldn't be able to help you much either. Elements of it haven't collapsed, uh, will be completely overwhelmed because chaos will spread far and, far and wide and fast. Spread far and fast, yeah, not wide. That will happen anyways. If you want to protect yourself, your family, and your property in this scenario, you're going to have to do it yourself. Many people in the U.S. now realize that an aim to prepare, prepared, but a lot of them are going the wrong way about it. This is where the lesson of the old sheriffs come in. To apply the same techniques as sheriffs in the, the West use, it helps to look at how your own situation resembles theirs and how it's different. Equipment, guns. The US high rate of gun ownership is what makes it possible to defend our community if society breaks down, but it also increases the threat. You can bet that any group of uh, marauders will quickly pick up every gun that they can get their hands on. While hungry refugees could be carrying to defend themselves, having the right guns available uh, is going to make a huge difference in your efforts uh, to preserve a little patch of law. Colt still uh, calls their single-action revolver the, the famous peacemaker, a gun that won the West. It wasn't in the fact that the role of the handgun, um, the, old pine, the old West, has been hugely... Uh, well, it's just extravated, um, I don't even know if I'm saying that right. Uh, let's see, something else um, we can thank Hollywood for. Yes, many famous, famous figures from that uh, time carried one, but they were now here near a common as the movies make out. And the movies aren't anything like the, the real the real deal. They just make it seem a little cooler and stuff, and maybe a lot of that stuff didn't happen. Most of it did, but it isn't It isn't as glamorous as they say it is. Like I said, war always stays the same. The faces, they're the only things that change. Almost uh, every household on the frontier was armed, 
but guns were expensive compared to the average income of a lot of expensive expenses um, than they are now. And few people could afford a collection of them. They tend to buy one gun and would pick one that would be versatile as, as possible. Usually it wasn't a revolver. For the typical settler in one of the new American territories, a handgun wasn't actually uh, good for much. He needed a gun to put food on the table, maybe to hunt animals for their pelts and keep critters away from his crops. Self-defense was just something else to could be used for it if necessary. But few people saw that their gun's uh, main function and if they used it, uh, for protection was more likely to be against an animal than a person. The popular image of every cowboy and rancher walking around with a six-shooter strapped to his hip simply isn't correct. As period photos show, some did carry revolvers, but most didn't. Rifles, rifles were far more common weapons in the West because they could be used for hunting and long-range longer range after the Civil War. There was no shortage of military surplus. Rifle muskets and settlers carried those or similar weapons. If there really is a gun that won the West through, it had been the humble 12-gauge shotgun. It's hard to imagine a more versatile workhorse firearm than this. It can be loaded with anything from single massive projectiles, ball, from slung down to a charge of rock salt, is capable of bringing down most game, anything from small birds to large deer, can be taken with approximately um, a loaded shotgun. I can't even speak today. You probably know what I'm talking about. It's also for self-defense at a short and uh, medium range. No pistol cartridge comes close to the power of a 12-gauge and loaded with buckshot, it can also have as much longer effective range familiarity. Yeah, I can't even talk. Plays a part of sense in an emergency. You'd be a lot better off with a gun you carry and use every day, but useless. Um, you've done hundreds of hours of um, specialist uh, police or military handgun training. A shotgun is just easier weapon to protect yourself with. The same thing that, that made the shotgun an ideal weapon in the 19th century, West still holds true today. In fact, if anything, its advantage have increased. There's a wider choice of ammunition, ever included rifle slugs that are accurate and hard hitting out to about 100 yards or more. Traditionally, side-by-side have been replaced with a pump action, which are extremely reliable but offer higher ammunition capacity. Shotguns are designed for rapid, instinctive um, aiming and useful for hunting. Critical advantage in a self-defense situation. They also have a huge um, psychological effect. The sound of a pump shotgun chambering around is instantly recognizable. Highly intimidating cops will tell you that it often makes intruders turn tail and run without a single shot being fired. Wish I still had mine. Got to get another one, I guess. In this day and age, I'm sure it'd probably be pretty hard to find now. <clears throat> if it's the um, SHTF, remember the, the acronyms, what they mean... A lot of intruders you'll be facing are starving refugees from the city. You don't want them to steal your supplies, but you don't want to shoot them either if you can avoid it. Um, communications, big thing. I, I keep um, radios around anyways. You have to have comms in a situation like that if it goes to heck. At least you can get some crosstalk and see what's going on. But the communications probably back then, you know, they didn't have anything like that. So keep on going here. Um, communications. It's amazing how quickly we've become used to today's um, hyper-connected 
uh, world, most of us are never out of touch. Whether we are about 25 years ago, uh, cell phones were in ranty and mobile internet completely unheard of. If you wanted to talk to somebody while you were out, you found a payphone and hoped they were at home. In the Old West, even that option didn't exist. There were no telephones and only quick way of communication over long distance were um, telegraph systems. They were just uh, wire, probably copper wire, maybe steel for uh, uh, for strength because they had to be slung through um, telegraph poles and stuff. So <clears throat> no different than what we used to use in the military before we went to digital communications. We had to put up string wire to from a phone to a um, a switchboard it's kind of like how they did it but it was only point to point so it was like the telegraph um, system um, definitely don't want to be hanging on those wires when the power's coming through there you'll light somebody up pretty good I mean it's just probably DC power and if, if anything <clears throat> reminds me of the time in the military where we were um training with those and uh, the guy in the other end I don't know if he had it hooked up yet or not but I cranked on the generator and I could hear somebody screaming in the distance there and I was like oh shit (laughs) that wasn't good sorry for my language the first telegraph line went up in 1844 linked uh, Washington DC with Baltimore by 1856 there were around 40 U.S. telegraph companies, all based in the eastern United States, but one of them, which uh, recently renamed itself Western Union, probably remember that from the money orders, had begun buying up many others. Western Union opened up its first uh, transcontinental line in 1861 between New York and California. And through the rest of the century, the telegraph network slowly spread throughout the developing West. Not every town had a telegraph station. Through it had a few more than one. Sending messages wasn't a fast process. Each one had to be tapped out using Morse code. They still use that today. It's kind of hard to memorize. But I know up till I think 10 years ago, on ham tests, you had to know Morse code, but you don't have to anymore. They took that out. It was just too difficult of a test if you uh, operate ham radio. Then uh, written down at the receiving end, the, uh, then the, uh, either person was addressed to had to be picked up a telegraph station or Western Union runner would deliver it. So that was probably on horse because they didn't have cars back then. Later on, I think 1902, maybe three, they had like the Model Ts. But before that, yeah, maybe there was a steam car. Maybe somebody was developing some uh, something, but otherwise it was horseback or wagon. <clears throat> Even so, it was a huge improvement over what went on before. The, Tony, the Pony Express riders on fast horses um changing mounts frequently could uh, carry over a 20-pound sack of mail from St. Joseph's, um, Missouri to Sacramento in around 10 days. The Pony Express became a legend of the West, but it closed two days after the transcontinental telegraph started. Operating still riders were the quickest way to get a message between most towns out West until well into the 1880s, unless you lived beside the railroad. If society collapses, you'll suddenly find your communications options at least as narrow as those of the 19th century pioneers. Cell phones, landlines, exchange, and internet will go down quickly. The only modern communications that will work are self-contained radios with their own power sources. And if you don't have one, in an uh, SHTF kit. You'll be uh, back to using uh, riders to carry messages outside your local area if you don't have any horses and have to rely on automobiles or uh, motorbikes. 
that's going to be um, useful, valuable fuel. That's why people say <clears throat> CB radio is dead. Well, in a situation like this, it could become um, new technology again. So it's like, like I always say, the past always repeats itself. You just don't know how it does. But old technology becomes new again because your system went down. You know, for whatever reason or whatever have you, I don't know. These are possible scenarios. And if you look at it as the worst scenario, the possible worst scenario, I never look at the best scenario. I look at the worst case scenario because that's usually how it's going to go. If you think that way, you prepare better because nothing comes out good because we don't we don't have a crystal ball. We don't know how it's going to turn out. So you have to prepare for yourself. Big thing. Okay, I'm going to take a break for uh, Digger's Den. They're out in uh, Tennessee there. Um, I'm sure they're open now. Don't think they have the new um, the new uh, Garrett Apex um, metal detectors yet. And I know that they're not waterproof. I know the AT Pro was waterproof. Uh, Note to Simplex is waterproof down to 10 feet. I, I have both the machines. They're good machines. They're single frequency. And they pick up the stuff. Multi-frequency does a little bit better, but... You know, like I said, you know, if you're on a budget, you can only afford what you can buy. And then you, maybe you can move up from there. <clears throat> uh, let's see. Yeah, Digger's Den is in Tennessee, and the number is 434-665-9753. You can contact him. And I believe he might be on Eastern Time, I'm not sure. Pretty sure. Um, Tennessee, that'd be... Yeah, it'd be more east. <clears throat> okay, carries the note to Simplex. And it carries uh, all the AT Pro, uh, those different machines, Garrett line. Because I don't think he has the Apex yet. It, it'll be coming out here very soon, I'm pretty sure. Um, he carries, uh, let's see, Deus products. Um, the black or white uh, HF coil or standard black coil. I have that coil. I have the elliptical one. It's a pretty neat one. It'll go up to the black one. Um, it's not the X35. That's like the white elliptical coil. Um, I think the, the, the HF elliptical coil will run up to almost 90 kilohertz. Um Otherwise, it runs down to 50 or 60, and then uh, the black one runs anywhere from 5 to 10. It goes on up to about 30, 25. But with that detector, you have to put in the um, serial number for the uh, coil that you're using because it's got an individual battery. Because it has no wires like the... Um, like the uh, Simplex or the AT Pro or something like that, or the, the Mind Lab Vanquish or the 800. They all have cables, but the, uh, the, the Deus doesn't. And uh, if you're going to go in the water with it, you have to have the antenna for it so it can transmit up to the, the receiver box from the coil because uh, signals like that don't work real good in the water. I, <clears throat> I tend not to use it. Um, in the water, I would probably just go up on the beach. I'm not too much for going in the water, but then you never know. You might want a couple water machines. Um, let's see. Uh, the Mine Lab, it's 15% off for vets. Uh, show your DD-214 or your military ID card, but cover up any vital information because you have to fax it to him. So what I always do is I just cover it up with a little piece of paper. And then um, make sure it's covered up. I take a picture of it. Um, <clears throat> see. He has digging tools, shovels, um, fanny packs uh, for, for your shovels, uh, holders that you can put on your strap. Um, then you can put your junk or your coins on there in, uh, in, the, in the pouches or... or um, uh, like a uh, um, carpenter's uh, 
um, thing that they wear. Um, I always take the junk and take it with me because you might go back there again. Pick it up, take it with you because somebody else is going to have to throw it away for you if you don't throw it away. Uh, he also has PayPal credit sign up. If you want to buy now, pay later, you can do that. The interest rate is a little higher, but you can always work on your credit. I always find that's good because one day you're going to have to get a house or you want to get a nice car or something like that. They're going to check your credit. I mean, that's a terrible way of doing it, but people don't really save a whole lot of money anymore. They, Unless, uh, I don't know, if you're metal detecting, you find silver, put it away. You know, it could be worth something, could be worth a lot. You know, with uh, <clears throat> with the dollar and stuff, they're printing more of it, more of it all the time. It's worth less and less. Well, gold and silver are going to be worth a lot more. And there's a thing called a bartering system that that could that could happen. I mean, it happens now. It's still used. The federal government can't track the barter system, which is nice. So if you want something, you trade. Or trade up for something better. You work up to that, and you get it. You get something good through, through the bartering system. I like it. But thing is, is I hold on to everything, so I never really trade anything. I don't have no need of getting rid of anything. Uh, probably will happen when I get old, when I can't do it anymore. I suppose My health will start to deteriorate or something. That's kind of why I work around young people. It's, I feel young myself then. See that. Works works good. It's, age is only a number. It's only what you feel, I guess. Exercise does does help. Helps the body and stuff. Because you could sit around and watch TV. You can play your Xbox and stuff. But if you don't get outside and <clears throat> and do something outside and breathe in some fresh air. Because you got to go to these stores and stuff and wear a mask. And I'm like, I'll just do my thing. Take off that freaking mask and get the heck out. And it's why stay by myself, I metal detect, I do my own thing, and works good, you know, if you got something to peter with or tinker with and stuff, it beats going into a store all the time and have to wear a mask, because we may be doing this for a long time, I don't know, however long they want it to go on, um, sure it'll be still going on during the election, I don't know about after, I don't know, that might just disappear, who knows, we'll see. I'll keep going here. Let's see. Finish up the rest of the communications that I was talking about. Um, Reserves were probably reluctant to waste, but good communications played a big part in keeping the Old West law-abiding, and they were just as important for you. Okay, organization. It keeps us on the next key point. How to organize. There's something a lot of preppers seem to overlook. A big part of them is being ready for it. Um, SHTF. There's that word again, huh? Is a self-reliance and does not seem to sit well with with uh, committee meetings and organizing, organizing communities to work together, but it needs to be talked about. The people who set out to build the West were also self-reliant. They had to be, but they also knew that it could accomplish more by working together than they could be as individuals. Because more than one, more than two hands, I mean, you can can do a lot of things with more than two hands, because otherwise if you're doing it, it's going to take you a lot longer, but if you got like-minded people that want to help you and you want to help them, man, it's, that's the best friendship you can ever have. And if you trust each other, that's that's a big thing. <clears throat> um, one fam- uh, family can secure and defend their own property, but they have no control over surrounding area. If a large enough group of marauders attack them, they're eventually going to be overrun. A loose community of a hundreds of well-prepared, self-reliant people could be taken down by a dozen bandits. If they have to deal with um, one or two or five at a time, 
Now imagining that same dozen robbers approaching a typical 19th century town out on the frontier. The town probably only had a couple hundred people and they lacked most advantages we have today. They had no radios, no motor vehicles, and and most common firearms were double barrel shotguns and single uh, shot rifle muskets. But the robbers had almost no chance because the townspeople had an informal uh, but effective organization to keep the peace. The sheriff. Frontier towns couldn't support a full-time police department. Everyone was too busy taming the surrounding land and building the town um, itself. But the sheriff often was a full-time law enforcement elected from among the people. He probably had a farm or business from his own to run. There were upsides to this through, um, usually there was a divided between law enforcement and civilians as often is now. The townspeople knew that the sheriff was the one um, of their own. Most of them had to vote him in. The ones that who hadn't uh, still knew who it was. There was an essential link between sheriff and people. Uh, they chose him to protect them from lawbreakers and that meant you could not count on the support when he needed it. <clears throat> Sheriffs could call for support in many ways, but one of their most valuable assets was simply a community itself People talked to their neighbors in a web information shared with that covered the district. That's what I'm talking about, web um, uh, sharing ideas with people. Uh, I forget what that word is called. Multitasking or something. I don't know. People sharing ideas. If someone had a problem with a pilfering around farm, pretty soon everyone else would know about it. And they would be on the lookout. Word would get to the sheriff and he'd probably take a look around the area. Any opportunist criminals would quickly see that the community was on the alert and that had a big deterrent effect. Deputy sheriffs where the deterrent didn't work. The sheriff had power to deputize people to help him. Large towns might have full-time deputies that were paid from the sheriff's share of few taxes he collected. In small settlements, the sheriff might have a pool of men he knew he could rely on, but would only deputize them if were needed. That's the situation you'll be in a society that collapses. It's not likely your own uh, local community will be big enough to support full-time deputies. A sheriff or deputy sheriff and now a person appointed uh, by the sheriff to carry out uh, sheriff's deputies. Uh, They have all the powers of the sheriff himself, including investigating crimes, making arrests, and deterring suspects and criminals. Traditionally, a deputy is an employee of, of the sheriff, meaning that they're paid by the sheriff and are under their command. Posses, because they had no paid the number of deputies sheriffs could only <clears throat> employed was a limited one option was to hire them only need, if needed but uh, sometimes so much manpower was needed that it just wasn't uh, possible to hire that many people that's where another sheriff's power came in the right to raise a posse that comes from the traditional posse comitatus or power of the community And like the office of the sheriff itself, it goes back to English common law. The sheriff has the power to construct construct, um, uh, able-bodied men into posses when manpower is needed. Usually that happened when a fugitive had to be captured or a large group of outlaws threatened the peace. Members of the posse didn't have all the power of the sheriff or deputy but they did did have whatever powers the sheriff degulated that. 
Oh, jeez, I can't talk today. Um, delegated for them. Now I can talk. For example, the posse called out for manhunts. Its members would be given the power to arrest the fugitive. Other times, the right to self-defense would be enough for the task. Bringing it up to date. So law and order in the Old West was mostly handed by sheriffs and the help that they could draw from their own communities, either by appointing deputies or raising a posse. The big question is, when our own society collapses, how can you use those methods to keep yourself and the people around you safe? It is even appropriate to do things, um, way to do things. The answer is the question to has to be, yes, sheriffs, unlike most modern police forces, belong to old traditions um, of policing by consent. Uh, if, the poli- if the people didn't like the job their sheriffs were doing, when his term was up, they could elect someone else. Um, that was an important check that kept most sheriffs honest. Now, the police increasingly uh, politicize and remote from the uh, from the people. The element of consent is gone. That doesn't matter. That doesn't matter much to powerful governments that can enforce its will through force. But uh, what's about when government loses control? If you want to preserve safety in the aftermath, the first thing to do you need to do is get a consent because people aren't going to accept any other form of policing or policing or yeah policing I guess yeah that's what the word is need more coffee right getting yourself an elected sheriff uh, probably isn't realistic in a, a, a SHTF scenario most people are likely to to worry about uh, to inv- involved in looking after themselves to feel like organizing a small town hall meeting security is a priority and it uh, it's likely to be needed sooner than later that means someone has to take the responsibility if no one is going to do it you're going to have to step up your first task is going to be building the consent you need if you just start patrolling the area with a gun the chances are you will be looking at some suspicion, but with the right background, you'll get a much better response. The first thing to do is speak as many neighbors as you can. If you can get them all together at once, great. If not, talk to them individually. That if worried about lawlessness affecting uh, you and, and that you have some idea to prevent any issues. Some immediately will see an advantage. Others might need some convincing. Focus on these points. Safety in numbers. A group of people working together can achieve a lot more uh, than the same number all doing the same thing. And that applies to security too. Let's see. Better awareness. Being organized means sharing information and that means everyone gets advanced warning in any event developing problems. Less time consuming. If ever every home is 100% responsible for its own security, everyone will spend a lot of time checking for intruders and standing guard. That way that wastes time people could be producing food and adapting to the crisis. Security for singles. Families can turn um, checking perimeters at night, uh, guard when marauders are around. Anyone living alone can do that. If there are older people in your area, they are vulnerable too. And local safety is the only strong as its weakest link. When you show people that you've thought about keeping the area safe from lawbreakers, you can also have a plan to do it. Most of them are going to agree if not trying to take over, you just have uh, some positive suggestions to save everyone some time and gain them uh, some security 
what you'll probably find is that your neighbors, friends, um, have been worrying about exactly those issues. Most of us think we can protect our homes by ourselves, and most of the time we can. But when a dozen armed and desperate people could raid your food supplies at any time, we start to realize that we need to sleep sometimes, and that leaves a lot of hours when we're not ready to respond. Ask anyone who's done this in the military how exhausting uh, sentry uh, duty gets. Once a majority of the neighbors have accepted your plan, you're ready to get started. Without announcing it, you've basically got yourself elected as a sheriff. Don't get carried away, but now you need to start putting the plan into effect. That means you're going to need deputies. This looks like yeah, this looks like it the tricky bit, but you you have to persuade people to give up some of their time to help you out. Actually, it's not that hard all through um, because you'll see that the benefits um, pretty quickly in exchange for uh, taking turns at patrolling the area. You'll be able to sleep soundly every other night knowing that someone's out there keeping an eye on things and ready to raise the alarm if necessary. Showing the flag, one of the most important things you can do is to have a visible presence around the clock. That's one of the main reasons an old-time sheriff would take on deputies, many crimes, and a lot easier to commit at night. But if there's an area being patrolled, that's a big deterrent. Obviously, you can't do it yourself. You need to sleep too, and you have other things to attend to. So find a few volunteers who can see the benefits and organize a shift system. These people do the jobs of your deputies. How to patrol will depend upon a lot in the area. If the suburb or urban, you might need to uh, control access. A small neighborhood can be held together even in a major collapse, but not necessarily uh, collapse, but not if Refugees and raiders have easy access. Then beginning, uh, then again, you can, can't can mobilize enough uh, manpower to cover every road. Consider barricading, most of them at least well enough to keep vehicles out and having checkpoints to control one or two you leaving open. A roving deputy can check others on his rounds to make sure everyone is uh, trying to reopen them. In a rural community, homes like homes are likely to be a lot more scattered and distant. Will be longer vehicle patrols and an option here as long as fuel lasts. But outside the town, you're more likely to have access to horses and people that can ride. They are a natural choice for the job. Anyone that's patrolling should be armed with at least a handgun and ideally a shotgun or rifle. And at night, you'll need a flashlight. If you have radios, they should take one of those too. What you can do, uh, don't want to do, uh, to have them fully knitted out with military-style tactic gear. You're just, you're just guys out there looking for their area and neighborhoods after all, they have the visible enough to be noticed. Yeah, the the um, load-bearing vests are really nice. You can keep um, magazines or radio in there. It's got a, a pouch for that. Uh, it's got several uh, pockets for magazines and stuff like that. Um, when I was in, I didn't have any anything like that. It's just... Um, was when I got out. I got about getting up on almost 60 minutes. Wow. Almost did an hour. Holy cow. I better get going here. Run out of time. Or I can just, uh, I'll just keep going. Especially during the day, are your, your deputies should be well known as approachable people. One of the most important things they can do apart from being seen 
is to talk to everyone they meet that makes people feel involved in protecting themselves, which is around and is vital to remember. Most of the modern ways of passing on information will be gone, and just like the Old West, it's going to be done by face-to-face conversations. That's another reason for avoiding the military look. It's just philosophical. Can't even talk today. Uh, It's harder to talk to someone that looks like they're ready ready to fight in a war, even though you know them. Actually, military, a lot of soldiers whose job is to talk to locals will walk around with no helmet or armor and just a sidearm. Even in a high-threat environment, they take a risk and break the rules because people are more likely to um, tell them stuff. So your deputies need to talk to people, help them out uh, where they can, and uh, do everything in their power to build an atmosphere where people talk about any worries that they have, anything that they've seen, and anything else that can help preserve law and order. Don't just look outwards either. If someone's suffering from stress and people will be in extreme SHTF, boy, I can't even say that, scenario. If you can pick up advance warning of, of any issues that are developing, if someone's starting started drinking heavily, getting aggressive with family or neighbors or possibly even drinking or even thinking of suicide. You'll get to hear about it and you can keep an eye on the situation before it gets out of control. You and your deputies have other things to do. You'll know the places in your area where bandits or refugees might hide. Check them regularly for signs that anyone's been using them. Also take a look at anything that could endanger the community. If there's a levee nearby, make sure to visit it daily. Uh, More often in heavy rain, make sure nobody's playing around with local industries that, uh, that use hazardous chemicals or check for evidence of tampering with water supply. One of the likeliest challenges you'll face in a group of refugees is looking for food, shelter, and security. You can't take them in your own resources no matter how well you're prepared. You are will be stretched enough as the, the crisis goes on. Be firm but compassionate. You'll need to turn them away, but don't use force unless uh, they do first. You're Americans, after all, and they're not to blame for what's happened. Some of them might even uh, be prepared to social breakdown, but had to move out because their homes were threatened or destroyed. Give them what help you need, help you can, without eating into your own reserves. Direction, directions to safe areas or even some medical supplies for anyone who is really sick or injured. Eventually, news is going to spread that your community has managed to hold itself together and no matter how small it is, even it's just um, you and one or two other neighbors, someone's going to think of trying to take your resources away from you. There is a good chance that when they see you're prepared and vigilant, They'll back off and look for an easier target, but they might not. The worst case scenario, and you need to be prepared for it, raising a posse. When you see a posse in the movies, it's usually been raised to pursue fugitives. That was certainly one of the functions that it's not one you're likely to be calling on. Your priority is to keep wrongdoers out of your community. If they run, it's usually best to just let them get away. Chasing them uses manpower and resources you can't afford. But posses um, have another use, and that was for self-defense against a large group of attackers. That's something, some, uh, 
something you're uh, almost certainly going to need. Sheriffs in the Old West had a legal right to draft manpower and were backed up by the threats of penalties under posse comitatus. That's an advantage you won't have. Law will have broken down. You're trying to hold a little piece of it together, but you can't do it by imposing fines on people who uh, won't join your posse. Ten to one that you're going to have to pay the fines. Either you'll have to use persuasion, and again, most people will see sense behind it. Those who will not probably change their minds um, the first time your posse proves its worth. Raising a posse isn't something you can leave until the barbarians are at the gates. You have to know who you can count on and that will be willing to help. Traditionally, that was all able-bodied men. Now it's any able-bodied adult. You have to make sure that they have access to guns, identical, uh, a long long gun. If, if you don't have it, you can get those with multiple guns to loan one and make sure that the borrower knows how to use it. Arrange a place for the posse to assemble. If a gun gunfight uh, breaks out, somehow, somewhere central, easily reached but not in the the line of fire from the ways into your neighborhood if you can and if you can have enough people organize them into teams and try to spread any veterans among those teams to reinforce them when the community comes under attack the last thing you want is everyone to rush towards the sound of gunfire what is if the raiders have split into two groups Keep a reserve to deal with anything unexpected. An old sheriff wouldn't take anyone with him. He'd leave at least one trusted deputy and enough men to protect the town while he was gone. Sheriffs in the Old West had some other powers that you don't. They uh, could convict and imprison or hang lawbreakers even if... uh, they go there unless it's clear the disaster is permanent. Yes, you can lock someone up in your garage and call it the town's jail, but you just have to fend, fend them for um, executions. That's a very dangerous territory. In the worst case scenario, like a major EMP attack, there's a good chance that the government will regain control. Eventually, if this happens, You don't need to question being asked about what happens during the crisis. Crisis. The same goes for lynchings. If you're one of the maintain the laws, even unofficially, a criminal was lynched, you're going to be held responsible for it. When raiders arrive, aim to drive them off. If any any get shot in the process, That's legitimate self-defense, but the frontier justice is a different story. Law enforcement in the Old West was about community looking after itself, was based on a consent and power to exercise by a sheriff chosen from among the people. That's the way the law should be maintained and by um, many today's social problems trace back to the fact that it isn't done that any that way anymore. The SHTF is going to be different. Surviving communities will, will return to the ways of the Western pioneers because there is no other way to maintain law and order. So that's it for this one. And we'll keep going on the um, same topics kind of more or less the survival type of ones. Uh, See what the old uh, ancestors and pioneers did at that time. So, till next time, stay safe, you know, um, do what you got to do to maintain your distance for the COVID and stuff like that, wear your mask. So, got to play the game for a while. So, 
Have a good day. Uh, Until next week. Bye-bye.